Hey everyone, this is Jason Schleifer, and you are listening to the Rotoscopers. Woo! You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 139, Megamind. I've had the time of my life. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Mason Smith. Still not dead yet. I had my break, and then I came back for Emperor's New Groove, and now we're back with another interview slash review type episode, and I'm here with Chelsea Robson. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. And you'll have to excuse Morgan, but today we have a, a super special guest today, a very... Very delicious treat for you. Uh, we have a returning interviewee and longtime Rotoscopers fan, Jason Schleifer, previously from DreamWorks Animation and now at Nimble Collective. Hello, everybody. Hello. So we have a lot of explaining to do uh, because you, <laughs> if you're a relatively new Rotoscopers fan, then you might not have heard of Jason Schleifer, even though he has been on the show before. So it's kind of complicated. Right when Mr. Peabody and Sherman came out, so that was like almost three Three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, I sat down in a hotel and over really crappy hotel Wi-Fi talked with Jason about his animation work on Mr. Peabody and Sherman. That was part of a podcast called Animation Interviews, which which some of you may or may not remember, whose episodes may or may not have been wiped off the face of the earth <laughs> and um, because we we eventually we we ended that episode and just in, kind of in, we tried to integrate it into the main podcast, but all those episodes got lost. So we literally have lost episodes from the Rotoscopers, and the Jason Schleifer inter- interview was one of them. It's true. <gasps> no. Well, I can tell you're not that upset about it, Jason, because the call quality <laughs> was terrible for that one. It really was. Like we sounded like '80s voice synthesizers. We sounded like. Um, that Sinistar game from the arcade where the guy's like, I am Sinistar. <laughs> you know, that's we what we sounded. Like recreate the whole thing. This, this entire interview, let's just fake 80s. <laughs> well, excuse me. Yeah. Jason, um, you're going to have to update us on basically who you are because we lost that episode. <laughs> and um, if you haven't, if, if people haven't already looked you up on IMDb from, from the episode title and from listening then uh give us a quick rundown on um on your your journey through the animated industry and where you are now my journey began um no i'm happy to so i've been in the industry uh over 20 years um which is kind of amazing to think about it is um it's like holy crap balls whoa um (laughs) so uh, i started in uh in the mid 90s i was working for a company called alias wavefront which is making um maya is the animation software that they just started creating as I started working there, uh, which many people who are in the industry use. And Mason, I'm sure you use it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I live and breathe it. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, I was working there for about three and a half years from when Maya was at Alpha 2, I believe. Uh, you couldn't even save files. You just had to create everything in MelScript. Um, and then um, I was there for a while, basically going around to different studios, helping them learn how to use it. Uh, got the chance to go visit, um, you know, Disney, uh, Dream Quest Images, which was doing Mighty Joe Young at the time, um, Sony, ILM, uh, places over in Europe. Like, I just traveled around showing them Maya and then would go to trade shows and demo it and stuff like that, which was pretty awesome. 
And then in uh, 99, there was a company in New Zealand that was getting started on the Lord of the Rings, and they needed a Maya expert. So I was like, okay, cool. Very, very long story compressed into a, okay, cool statement. Uh, I went to New Zealand and uh, started off as a character technical director on the Lord of the Rings trilogy, wrote the animation pipeline and how to like create rigs really, really quickly so people could animate, uh, switched over to the animation department and animated on all three films, starting with uh, whips and uh, chains and uh, then, yeah, not wearing them or using them, Sweet. but uh, <laughs> animating them. It's like the cave troll and the chain that was that uh, was holding him down, um, and the Balrog whip were my exciting things from film one. Uh, wow. And then over to animating Gollum uh, and Shelob and the Witch King and all sorts of stuff on the next two films. Um, and then at the end of 2003, when the third film ended, uh, I was really looking to get more into cartoony animation. Um, I learned a ton at uh, Weta. And it was a lot of fun. I love New Zealand. I met my wife there. Um, got two dogs, and it was awesome, but really wanted to learn more cartoony stuff. And uh, so I went to DreamWorks uh, in Redwood City and started on um, Madagascar working for this guy, uh, Rex Grignon. Uh, he was the head of animation on that. And so I went over there, animated on Madagascar, uh, Shrek the Third, Over the Hedge, uh, did a little bit of pre-production work on uh, Monsters vs. Aliens and then was a supervising animator on Madagascar 2. And then um, the other head of character animation. So the way things worked at DreamWorks is every film had a head of animation and a head of lighting and a head of effects and stuff like that. So each department had a somebody who was in charge of that department. Um, the other head of animation left and they had a new film coming up and they needed a new uh, Hoka, as we call them, head of character animation. So yeah. I applied for the job, and it turned out that that was for Megamind, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Yay! Yay. So um, I uh, moved over to head of animation on Megamind, did that for a number of years. I think it was like a three- or four-year project. Uh, and then uh, Peabody and Sherman uh, was head of animation on that, and then uh, was head of animation on Boss Baby during pre-production until the studio closed down uh, in, I guess, DreamWorks decided to kind of consolidate all production down in Glendale. So about a year and a half ago, two years ago, they announced they were closing the Redwood City studio uh, and moving down to L.A. So I, instead of moving down to L.A., I had been working uh, in my off hours on a project called Nimble Collective with a bunch of other people from the industry and decided that that would be much more what I really wanted to do with my career. Um, and so I switched over to working on that full time. And uh, that's what we've been doing. And basically, the idea with Noble Collective, if I can go into that for a quick second. Um, Please do. <laughs> what we found is that there's a lot of people who love to watch animation, like you guys and hopefully every single one of your listeners and many, many more millions of people out there. So people love animation, whether it's films or games or, or uh, TV shows or just short little internet you know, clips or whatever it is. Um, and now VR. People love to consume animation. Uh, and then there's a number of really passionate and amazingly creative people who want to create animation. And the actual act of creating it and then getting it to people is really hard. Um, there's all sorts of things that you have to know how to do technically uh, in order to actually do it. And it's it's actually kind of a stopper for a lot of people, whether it's just getting the software installed or learning how to work with a bunch of people. Because you have, in order to do really good animation, you have to work collaboratively with a lot of people, mm -hmm. and like syncing data and making sure you're all working on the same files and you know copying stuff back and forth is is really time consuming and difficult. Um, 
and it stops a lot of really amazing projects from getting done. Like we have a lot of friends who, you know, work at high-end studios and they have ideas and they go home and just recreating the really nice pipeline and structure that they have at work is such a daunting task. They never get their films out. Um, yeah. So what we're trying to do is basically simplify that for everybody. We want to say we'd like to create an entire studio pipeline, but put it all up in the cloud so you don't have to worry about uh, any. You don't have to worry about what sort of hardware you have on your desktop. You don't have to worry about installing any software. You don't have to worry about naming of files or where you're saving files or anything. It's basically you log in to our front end, which is a web front end. You go to a shot that you want to work on, and you click animate. And then the software loads, and all of your uh, all your assets and everything that you need to animate your shot are right there. You don't have to download them or sync them or even think about it. You just go animate. Boop, there's your shot. You do your work, you save it, and then you're ready to just render it. You're all done. So, like, literally nothing is on your computer except for a web browser. There's no nothing else installed at all. And uh, and so we did a short film like that um, for SIGGRAPH last year, and it was amazing. It was just like the act of doing it this way is so freeing because you're not thinking about anything at all except your art, and it's really cool. So our goal is to get that out to everybody. And make it super easy for people to create content, to work on stuff wherever they live, um, with whatever machines they have, and not have to worry about any of the technical stuff. And just let artists uh, spend more time creating is kind of our, our motto. So we've been doing that for a couple of years now. And uh, we're bringing in a few extra beta people to help out uh, learning how to use it and, and work with it and push us and make us, you know, make us make something that's really cool. So Wow. <laughs> that is my career in a nutshell. A shell of nuts. A giant That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah, it's like have... a big a big chunk of a like a big chunky Brazil nut. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we all speak Portuguese to go back to a conversation Chelsea and I were having earlier. Ah, very good. <laughs> Actually none of us yeah. speak Portuguese. <laughs> then you need somebody who speaks Portuguese. There you go. Exactly. You're hired. <laughs> That's all right. It's a lost language anyway. What? Spanish is totally oh, superior. No. Muy bien. No. <laughs> JK. Portuguese. JK. Okay, I guess. Oh. <laughs> I think it'd be harder because it, I think it'd be harder for a person who speaks Spanish to learn Portuguese than a person who knows only knows English to learn Portuguese. It's or a person who learned a, a year of French and a year of Spanish and gets them both confused, and then you sit them down with in front of somebody who speaks Portuguese. <laughs> yeah, you're totally not, lost. You know, that it's point. a friend of mine. It's not me. I don't. That, I have that does it. <laughs> That's cool. totally it. I actually had so, that. Uh, I was in Mexico at a at a um, club med. And I was like seventeen or eighteen or I don't know, so twenty something like that, and um, somebody was speaking Portuguese, and I thought they were speaking. Spanish, but I couldn't remember any Spanish, so I was talking to them in French. French is a little more difficult to get by, but like yeah, if you spoke Spanish to somebody who spoke Portuguese, they would they would get it. You wouldn't yeah. understand anything that they would reply back, but you know. Absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't work the other way around. <laughs> Sometimes that works with me with English too. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, Nibble Collector sounds really cool. So uh who handles the rendering? Do y'all have like a a farm or like a, yeah. a batch of servers that handles that? Yeah, so the rendering, everything's in the cloud. So we're, we're actually building our own rendering farm, um, but all in the cloud using uh, Amazon. So yeah. what's wow. cool is like because all the data is in the cloud and everything's in the cloud, like literally you go, I'm going to light a shot. Boop, there's my shot with all the stuff. I set my lights. I save it. 
and then I hit render, and that's it. Like I don't have to worry about where the data is or syncing it or anything. And so we can just then scale up the number of uh, render nodes that you need um, because it's in the cloud. It's kind of like just go as big as you want. And, you know, there's a cost associated with that, <laughs> which is different. Yeah. Like if you have your machines at home, you're just like, yay, render, 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 render. Because it's in the cloud, that's a little different. But oh, yeah. Yeah. the fact that you can be like, all right, I'm doing a, a commercial, you know, for for the Super Bowl. And I need to get this rendered, you know, in the next hour. Let me just <laughs> dial up the number of nodes that I need. Um, yeah. But it's cool. It's like it's it's literally you're not thinking about it at all. You just say, go render, go do your thing. <laughs> It's, That's it's, uh, it's awesome. It's totally so I'm just looking on, awesome. Yeah, I'm looking at the site and uh, yeah, it says y'all are software agnostic, and creators will have a choice of software depending on what they want to get involved in. And y'all are talking to a lot of software vendors and basically trying to pull in a comprehensive package. Because I know that there are some people who use 3ds Max to do their modeling and their rigging and animating, and then some people will do modeling in like ZBrush, bring that into um, Maya, do the rigging there, animate there. So y'all's goal is to keep it loose so that anybody can, whatever their style is for their production or whatever route they want to go, they can achieve that. Yeah, we want to be completely software agnostic. We we really we know that coming from the high end <laughs> side of things, you use different tools for different reasons. Um, and the real magic at a studio is that the artists don't think about how those tools plug together. There's an entire team of technical directors who figure out like, okay, if, if I'm going to be animating in Maya and I'm going to be lighting in, um, Katana and I'm going to be rendering in RenderMan, you know, what's the common format that's going to be going back and forth between those. And it'll be Alembic, for example, for the model format. So, um, let's make sure that when the animators are done, we have Alembic files that are spit out. And then, um, you know, make sure that the tool that they're doing lighting in can read those files and that the artists never think about where they're saving them or what the latest version is. Or if they need to go back a previous version, that's super easy. And then they compare, you know, what they did before and what they're going on to. Or if you need to add clothing and effects on top of that, like the, the pipeline manages all that stuff so the artists can just sit down and do their craft. Um, and so that's our that's our goal. With it. And uh, it's it's been, you know... It's like it's a really exciting challenge. Every time you add a new tool into that that pipeline, there's a lot of work to make sure that it fits in smoothly. So um, yeah, well, we're we're excited to make it just totally like oh, that's you know, the truth. Yeah, like and and not just 3D stuff, but we'd love to do 2D. So we've got uh, we've been working with Toon Boom to get their stuff on there. Um, oh yeah, we want to make it like totally just whatever tool you're used to using, you can use on the platform, but you don't have to install it. And that's the that's the exciting part. Because it's like strangely yeah. enough, that's a barrier for a lot of people. Like, um, it really, for example, it really if, is. Yeah, it's like if you want to learn, like you know, a lot of us have a couple hours at night where you're like, okay, I could watch a rerun of Laverne and Shirley, or <laughs> oh please, or chips. You know, there's a there's a chips episode, or chip series going. But um, anyway, <laughs> shows how old I am. My references are awful. Uh, uh, <laughs> so. You know, you want to watch, you can watch TV or I have two hours to learn how to, you know, use RenderMan 21 or something like that. Um, but if you have to install RenderMan and then hook it into your, your creation tool and do all this work just to get it to the point where you can try a render, that's a couple hours of work right there and that's going to throw you off. But if you could just click a button and there it is, uh, and then you're just focusing on what the unique things are to that software, it's a, it's a huge opportunity to really push yourself and you know, become um, 
basically better as an artist and, and be able to create what it is that you have in your mind. Yeah, I can see this being a really good tool for students because mm-hmm. um, a lot of I know that in the visualization department at A&M, um, we, we have a, a, a grad student animation pipeline or like a production pipeline and we have a render farm, but the undergrads are usually left to their just their laptops. <laughs> and when you hit render wah, wah. on a laptop with like a, a like a barely two gigahertz processor and yeah. um, and stuff, you're basically debilitated by how long your render is going to take. Mm-hmm. And so having having like a cloud based render and uh, being able to just go back and uh, like just clicking render and having the potential to um, like test other shots and and do other things while you're rendering um, yeah. it sounds really cool to me. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. And also, I've noticed uh, a lot that in like other there are like uh, like other countries like say like say you live in like africa and all you have is access to the internet and you don't have like a student account to register with autodesk to get like the latest version of maya and mm-hmm. you would feel bad about pirating maya as anyone should feel bad about <laughs> and this sounds like a cool this sounds like a cool um cool resource so um, what about uh what about like you know um getting nimble collective like ready for wide release do y'all have i think you mentioned a a, like a beta program or like a pilot program yeah we've got a bunch of people that we have who um signed up for the beta uh and so what we're doing is we're we because everything is streaming like the interaction and making it feel like you're working local even though you're not is such a really key important thing for us what we're doing is we're we're um we got huge amount of people interested and so we're going through that list right now and picking a few key lighthouse accounts that we're going to be working with to make sure that the experience is phenomenal uh, because as you probably know artists are very sensitive to <laughs> the working environment and if it's not great it's going to be you know they'll be like ah this is awful um, yeah. so we yeah. want to make sure that we're really handling everything that can be thrown at it and doing it in a smart way um so we got a bunch of people that we're working with right now that are just really pushing us and making sure that we provide everything that they need to be able to get their stuff done. Uh, and then we'll be opening it up to a wider audience as we go. So we got a giant list now. We're going to keep gathering more and more people and reaching out to more people. Um, and then we'll be announcing like what our rollout plan is uh, in the next few months or so, I believe. Woo-hoo! Yeah. All right. So it'll be, you know, and it's it's basically, it's like we just want to keep doing it in a way that makes it great for everybody so we're trying to approach it smartly and not just be like here blah and then people are like that's not what i wanted and be like let's take it back you know we want yeah. to do it we Ooh, want to do take it. it back yeah um but like yeah for, so for the students the funny thing you mentioned about that is it actually like the idea of this really came from um one of our, our co-founders was a student at san jose state this uh his name's scott lafleur and he was at san jose state and he was animating there and he had the exact experience you were talking about where he was an undergrad and he's like man i'm spending so much time trying to figure out how to make my stuff work you know just like where to save files and how to work with other people and set up my own pipeline like more of my time is spent doing that than actually learning how to animate and that's awful and then he went to dreamworks and he was like oh this is so easy i just i sit down I go to my, you know, my shell and I type emo, which was the software you we were using at the time at DreamWorks. And yeah, before Primo. Up. Yep, before oh, Primo's are awesome. Oh. Um, <laughs> before, yeah, so it's like you type emo and then boop, there's your tool and then you're animating. And it's like, oh, cool. I don't have to think about what files are in there. 
and then you send off a render and everything gets sent down the pipeline. So he saw what a real pipeline was. He was at DreamWorks for uh, seven years, and then he went back to um, to San Jose State to teach. And he was like shocked. It was the exact same experience where, you know, they have some tools there, but the students were basically still doing things the the old fashioned way and trying to figure it out themselves. And um, and he was like, man, I think we can really make this better. And so that was sort of the genesis of what we were doing. And um, we've actually worked really closely with San Jose State. They're an amazing school, uh, really like phenomenal art program. And the animation instructors there are unbelievable. They're super super cool and really open to ideas. Um, a lot of them have some animation experience in the industry, or like a ton of, actually, <laughs> a bunch of animation experience in the industry. And uh, they've just been awesome to work with. So we've got projects. We've been working with students there. Um, we've talked to a lot of other schools that are really excited about what we're doing because it just it allows them to have the teachers really focus on the art, which is what they want to do, and that's what the students want to focus on. Excellent. So there. <laughs> so there it is yeah exactly it's cool it's, it's an exciting time uh like just to give you an example for this short that we were doing internally um we'd always talked about the fact that you didn't need like a special computer but you know we're all in the industry so we all have our beefy laptops and beefy desktop machines um and so i decided i wanted to do a test where we tried to do a short film just using a chromebook which is, you know, just basically running Google Chrome. There's literally, you cannot install animation software on it. Um, yeah. There's nothing you can get. So I went on to Amazon and I purchased a Toshiba Chromebook 2, which is a it 16 gigs of, of RAM, um, yeah. and I think four gigs of hard drive space, and that's it. Um, oh, my. So it was really cool. It was like, the box shows up. I open it up. I log in with my Gmail account. I log into our platform. I click a button and I start rigging my chicken that I was animating. And it's like, yeah, took all of like 10 minutes max. And I'm already creating like this is this is crazy. And I just basically sat at home on my Wi-Fi um, streaming Blender because we were doing the whole thing in Blender. Uh, and it was like I was animating. I uh, did all of the nonlinear editing in Blender. I did all the rigging in Blender. Um, we uh, rendered it using their rendering tool, uh, Cycles, and uh, we composited with Nuke. And just wow. we, were, we were like, we need to make sure that we can do all of our uh, compositing with other tools to make sure the tool chain works, you know? Um, yeah. But it was just like, oh, this was, this was really easy. And then, you know, you could be at work on your work machine Log in, do stuff, come home on your home machine. It really didn't matter what machine you were on at all, whether it was a Mac, a PC, a Chromebook, a Linux box. It didn't matter. It was always the same experience when you were working. It was like, wow, this is this is cool. <laughs> it's awesome. So, so could, you potentially, could you potentially could you potentially um, stream your your software through your platform on like a Google tablet or something? Yeah, absolutely. Like totally. Wow. In fact, we, we we were at lunch one time, uh, just joking around about how it's all it's all just through a web browser. So uh, every Friday we have a, like a company lunch, and we bring in guests and talk about what we're doing and show them stuff. And so we're all sitting outside, and um, I was joking about being able to run Blender on my phone, and uh, one of the girls was like, "That would be like the best day ever if I could animate on my phone." And I was like, well, "Let's try it." <laughs> so I logged in on my phone. And I'm like sitting there moving a sphere around on my iPod or on my uh, on my iPhone, um, and it was it was not great, but it, you know, <laughs> not, the touch interface wasn't really working. But it was like holy crap! I can I've got Blender going and I'm on an iPhone. Like that is that is freaking nuts. 
<laughs> well, this, yeah, this brings it to cool. like a new level because if like um, say you're you're a TD and um, you suddenly get inspiration on how to how to refine a script or how to write a script for something that you want to do, then you can open up Maya and potentially on your smartphone you can yeah you can Absolutely. edit your your script on there or. Um, totally. or, or tweak something in a scene that your other teammates need or your other, you know, the other people need. And yeah, that's actually exactly what happened on the film. We were, um, I was in the last sort of bits of editing on it one night. And, uh, I realized that one of the shots that was using nuke to composite, I needed a new version of the animation, uh, rendered out. Um, or sorry, it, the animation had been rendered, but I needed a new version of composite script run. And so I, I, uh, texted, Haley, who is our lighter and compositor on it. And um, she, I was like, can you just rerun the, the uh, nuke script on this? Because I need to, you know, I need to update the edit. And she was at her mom's house and didn't have her computer with her, but she had her mom's iPad. So she grabbed the iPad, <laughs> logged into the platform, loaded nuke, and was using nuke on the iPad, reran the composite, and then was able to get back to what she was doing. And I was able to keep working. And it was just like, holy cow, this is so cool. <laughs> like, you just like, Flash of inspiration. Do my thing. Done. Back the to my life. The future is here. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, I, so I can exciting. see this. I can see this like I can see this like new era of like casual animation production, <laughs> where people are just like, yeah, um, I'm going to school, but I've also been working on an animated short film with about thirty other people, and uh, yeah, when I'm yeah. just on the bus coming to and from home, I, I rig my characters, I do my animation, no big deal. Oh, like, oh my god. See, what probably see kids like just animating like a, a, a really nice level production like at Starbucks or something. And yeah. It, you, just, yeah. it just seems like it opens up this like new world of freedom. Like you're not confined to like being in your apartment or Absolutely. your dorm, like on your laptop, like agonizing over a render or something like that. Absolutely. I imagine it as like an OK Go video where everybody's animating live while you're shooting it. <laughs> Flash mob. You should contact them about Nimble Collective. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Why? That it's so meta. Movie. It's like, okay, you've watched our new music video, and the time it took you to watch it, we made a new music video. <laughs> Nimble Collective. <laughs> it's a never-ending cycle. Oh my God, Inception! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Start playing the music. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, our whole thing is we just want people to create when they're inspired and not worry about where they are. Or, or if you have an idea and you want to work on something with someone, it's just as easy as sending them a link, and then they can start working on it. And that's you know, it's we found it's actually really awesome for people who um, are wanting to do like contract work at home. Yeah, because a lot of like right now, if you're going to do animation at home and you want to work with somebody, um, you may have like. Like uh, if I'm working on a or if I've got a short that I want to share with with somebody uh, and have them work on it, it may be like two weeks worth of work. But I have to get, you know, I have to make sure they have the software installed, that they've got the licenses then figure out how to sync the data and all that stuff. And that's just it's all just stuff and time consuming and money that really I'd rather spend on the artists. And so if I could just send them an email with a link and say, click this button. Here you go. You're now animating and they can just do that really quickly, then any money that I'm spending on the project goes straight to the artist and not to um, them wasting time trying to get stuff ready to start creating, you know? So I've, we found definitely for people who um, either they're like new parents and they are at home with the kids and the kids are taking a nap and they've got a half an hour to two hours to do some work, uh, for them it's phenomenal. 
for somebody who's working full time in a job that they're not super thrilled about, but they have this creative drive they want to do at night, um, they can do that. Or you know, for a full time job, you, and you just want to live like I don't know, on a lakefront <laughs> instead of living in a big city. Um, Wouldn't we can, all? Yeah, it'd be cool. So it's yeah, it's super exciting. It's it's like I'm absolutely thrilled to be doing this because I have a feeling that. Uh, you know, when it is really successful and out there in the world in front of everybody, um, we have a chance to really change people's lives and allow them to live where they want to live and work on the projects that they're really passionate about. And well, you know, hopefully extend what animation is known as, um, and really, you know, kind of do what YouTube and, uh, you know, cell phones with cameras have kind of done for, for home movies and for, um, independent shorts is like really open up the opportunities that are there. Oh yeah, for sure. So there's, there's nimble. Yay. We've talked about the future of animation. <laughs> now let's go seven years in the past to yeah. Megamind, which, which was actually 10 years for him. Yeah. It was yeah. A long time. Yeah. Yeah. So y'all, I don't know. Maybe I've said this on the podcast before, but Megamind is, is way up there in my top DreamWorks animated films because oh, it's because it's just so hilarious. Like <laughs> Megamind created a character that was like it made me okay with the whole concept of like Will Ferrell basically acting like himself for two hours, <laughs> but they, but y'all transformed him into this really cool character. Appealing character too. Yeah. That was so appealing. Thing. That was like, not because of Will Ferrell, but like the idea of having him <laughs> that kills the hero in the first five minutes of the film. Uh, oh, sorry. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> well, they should know by now <laughs> if they haven't watched it yet. Um, but like taking that guy, that was something we talked about a lot about. It's like, how do you take this guy who is the bad guy who kills the hero very quickly and make you feel something for him and feel sympathetic towards him? Cause he does some pretty bad stuff. Um, you know, like how do you, how do you make that successful? And it was, a, we talked a lot about that. It was, uh, it was certainly wasn't easy. Yeah. So you were head of animation for this film. How did y'all approach animating uh, a superhero movie? Because well, for, and, one thing I've noticed is is that this film has a lot of capes in it, which I understand was kind of a headache for you guys. Whereas well, there was a certain other superhero film from a certain other animation studio that made a point of having no capes. In fact, capes were bad. <laughs> but this one, capes are good, and they're all over the place. And so how did y'all approach animating like y'all's first superhero-style film? Um <laughs> Well, we thought definitely day one, lots of capes. Gotta have capes. Um, no, so I think the any superhero film, I mean, you know, obviously Incredibles is an amazing film, and that's it's one of my favorites. You've got phenomenal director. You've got an, an amazing story. You've got great work. Pixar always does phenomenal stuff. So we knew with Megamind that there were, we were going to be compared to it, and we just sort of accepted that, and we went, okay, whatever. Now we're just going to make our own film. It's going to be what it is. Um, but in terms of how to deal with the superhero stuff, from the animation side, what was really fun was to try and think about um, Metro Man, for example. How do you represent somebody who is superhuman and do it in a way that feels like as realistic as possible in terms of his interaction with the world, um, but allows him to be super? 
you know, like, um, for example, we were thinking about if he were to lift up a car because he's so strong. We actually did a bunch of animation tests early on, but it's like if he were to just grab a car and lift it as fast as he possibly could, uh, it would just rip the bumper right off. You know, like he would just grab it and the bumper would come off and it'd be like, well, crap, I didn't lift up the car. Um, so we thought, <laughs> well, what is it about, you know, super strength? Like how could he actually do that the right way? And we thought, okay, well, if you, if he knows that if he just grabs the car and yanks, the bumper will come off, he'll move really slowly at first and then accelerate just at the exact right amount to make sure that the car doesn't go into pieces um, so that the, the momentum you know, works in terms of physics as well as superhero physics could work. So we did a lot of tests where we, um, we actually first did some video reference tests. We had this guy, Carlos Rosas, who was one of our uh, animation leads. Like He was a, a lead for uh, Metro Man. Um, where we would film him, and he's kind of a beefy guy. So we'd film him like doing punches and stuff, and then we'd adjust the timing of the film. Sorry, <coughs> I get emotional thinking back on it. Oh, uh, Metro Man. Yeah. Um, so we would actually like play with the timing of the video to see if we can make something feel like he would slow into an action and then accelerate out of it in a way that felt superhuman, but would sort of, you know, not allow him to tear the world apart around him. Uh, and we did a yeah. couple. Yeah. And so it was kind of fun, like playing with that. And then we did some animation tests with Metro Man where it was like, okay, so he's going to pick up this car. Um, everything from his character, like he's been a superhero his entire life. So he knows that the paparazzi is around him. He knows that people are taking pictures and staring at him and looking at him. So every single thing he does would be posed wonderfully for the camera. You know, highlighting his muscles and highlighting his his uh, his powers. Whereas with Titan, we figure he has the exact same powers as Metro Man, um, but uh, doesn't know how to use them and doesn't have that same background. So for him, you know, when he would go to pick up a car, he would be completely off balance. He would um, not understand like how to how to not fall over when he picked up the car, and all of a sudden his his balance was off. Um, he would overreact because things weren't acting the way he wanted, and he's a bit of a, a tense guy and and you know, he's, he's the villain. So, uh, we were having a lot of fun trying to think about how we could approach the exact same superpowers with two different personalities and make sure that it, it came across and was, and was believable for both of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, well, talking about those superhero personalities, I noticed when I first watched the film, um, that they have their own kind of style to them because of, like you said, Metro Man, he's used to being a superhero. He's very much in the public eye. Um, he's got the, I love you, random citizen. Yeah. And, um, he's got great PR. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, but, he's got his own reporter, you know, that's right. In, so <laughs> that's everybody's right. got to have their team, you know, and <laughs> Titan, um, the biggest thing I notice about the differences, differences between, uh, Metro man and Titan is that Metro man, when he flies, his center of gravity is, um, is on like his root node is on his chest. So he, he's got the Superman, um, flight down but when titan flies around it's like his his root motion is centered around his hips like his hips kind of propel him around and the rest of his body just kind of flails behind him and he hasn't really got the whole like flying thing down yet and that and watching that i was like man like they really put a lot of thought into like what would a like a novice like a, a noob but over ambitious superhero do when they're trying to fly around and and be be heroes and stuff Absolutely. Yeah, that was we spent a lot of time in pre-production thinking about that. Um, so Carlos Rosas, the guy I was talking about before, was the 
character lead for um, Metro Man, and then Bryce McGovern was the lead for Titan. And so Bryce was really, really excited about trying to make this guy, you know, powerful but totally uncoordinated. And and I'm glad that you noticed that because <laughs> it was a big part of what we were trying to do to make these characters unique. Yeah, and then you got Megamind who just kind of sneaks around because he's basically evil Batman, but <laughs> he's like an alien. Well, he's he's in the category of people who has super brains, not superpowers. So he's yeah. It's literally like, what if alien Lex Luthor defeated Superman? Would he get? How would he react? Would he ever get bored? You know what? Yeah. Would he would he question his purpose in life? Exactly. It's a it, and the fun thing about about Megamind, which I think really came out as we got Will on board, because originally it was uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, really? And when, yeah, that was, he was the original voice of Megamind, and it was a very different character. Um, uh, but when Will came on, his, his voice is so light and excited, and he brought this real joy to the character that was just like, um, like you could tell that he really loved being a villain, but not because he wanted to do bad things, because he enjoyed the challenge and he enjoyed the, the interaction between him and Metro Man. Like that was, you know, he was looking for his place when, like when he's a kid, you know, he's trying to figure out where his place is in the world. And when he, when he figured out that he could play the villain and Metro Man could play the hero, like that was their, that was their thing. That was their, that was their jam. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and he loved it. And so, everything about that for him was exciting and a pleasure. And so Will's voice really just has that in him, you know, um, when, yeah. when he was doing the recordings and we were trying to really nail, like, how do we get that appeal to Megamind? Like you guys were talking about earlier. Um, I got a chance to go and watch Will do some of the voice recording and, uh, it was awesome. I was, you know, starstruck. You're like, Oh, it's Will Ferrell. It's like, Oh my God. Um, and so I would just stare at him. And uh, and watch what he was doing with his face. And when he would talk, he would lift his eyebrows really, really high, and he would have that excitement in his face. And I was like, "Oh, that's something that we can do with with Megamind is never make him that evil, like really drop his brows low and and make him look like sinister, but keep him excited and open and engaged." Um, and I think that that helped a lot with you know with making sure that he was an appealing character and and mm -hmm. somebody that wanted to watch and empathize with was that he was open and excited and, and joyful. Well, um, it also doesn't, it never closes you off to him. Um, yeah. you, it, he just comes across as this like little kid who is just still trying to enjoy or just trying to, you know, to play his part as you were saying before. And yeah, exactly. it makes the crossover of him being Mr. Evil to being the, the guy you want to root for really easy. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it also, it helps a lot when he, you know, when Titan starts to go really, really bad and Megamind realizes that, holy crap, like this is a, this is a real villain. Like this is dangerous. Like he, you realize that he never actually meant any harm to the citizens of Matrocity, as he calls it. Matrocity. Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, and he sees where the, where he's gone wrong and it makes it a much more believable transition for him, um, to be the hero. You know, just internally as well as the audience can come along with it. So, yeah, he's really um, he's got great it. The way y'all designed his character and his animation and personality and stuff, it makes it easy and believable for for us to watch him make the transformation from mm -hmm. main bad guy to bad guy that's going to defeat the bigger bad guy, but in doing so, he becomes the good guy, and yeah. he realizes that's that was that 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 was a better purpose for him all along. Yeah. 
The eyes really and, do it for you. Like yeah. he's, it, first, it wasn't, he's got the big eyes first off, like you know the puppy <laughs> eyes. They're totally. Just, they're those big eyes, and then they're bright and open, and just like, what am I gonna do now? Yeah. Well, there's a few key moments in the film where those eyes are are such. I mean, they're super present. Like when he's a kid, and uh, you know, there's a lot of shots where it's just acting through the eyes of him taking in what's happening in the world. Um, you know, especially the shot where he decides to become evil in the schoolroom. You know, um, that's right. He's. I he's, am bad. I'm gonna be the biggest baddest. Yeah. I think that was animated by uh, Kevin Shorey. He's been there for a long time, um, and that was a that shot for him was I think a really exciting one and a key one because it is all just in his eyes, and you see that transition from sadness to acceptance to like, all right, I'm going to do it the best. Uh, and there, so there was that one. There was another one in the rain with Roxanne when um, that's right. He and he's as Bernard, the two of them kiss. And then he transitions, and um, Anthony you Hobbs lied to me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Anthony Hobbs Megamind on that one. Uh, it was one of our supervising animators, and just that where he's like looking at her, and she's like, "Do you really think I would ever be with you?" And he just goes, "No." And there's like, what was fun there is this was our, the first movie I think that we were doing, um, or at least I was in charge of that was in stereo, um, and uh, one of the great things about stereo. Uh, like 3D stuff is that you can really tell when a when a character is looking at another character because of with the eyes like it's just so super obvious when they're connected and when they're not and wow. so we were we were really really focused on that one particular shot in in particular to make sure you could really see that Megamind was looking at Roxanne in the eyes and connected and then just as he says no there's like I don't know it's like maybe four or five pixel shift in his eye direction so he just slightly disconnects at like literally the exact right frame to have him go internal and just be like, Oh, and it's, <laughs> it's just, it's just all focused in the eyes. All the, all the acting's there. Um, there's a slight swallow in his throat. If you go watch it like in slow motion, the timing on that shot is just so beautiful. Uh, and that was all Anthony doing that one. Um, but yeah, the, the eyes for him are just, ah, oh, they're super key. Dang. I'm glad you guys noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that that scene in particular is is heartbreaking. But if you break it down, like objectively and logically, it's like, okay, this villain just dressed up as another person to deceive a woman into dating him. But but what but it really gets you engaged in the the emotion and and seeing it from his perspective. And it's like heartbreaking to watch because it's like, dang, it's like, no, he didn't have a chance. But we all thought he would have a chance, but yeah. how did we think it would work out? <laughs> yeah, and you understand it from both their perspectives, which is why I think it works. Is you totally get why she feels deceived um, and why she's hurt, and and you know is like, no, I wouldn't be with you. And even though she says like something so harsh, you can totally tell where she's coming from, and you know exactly where he's coming from and why he thinks that maybe his life is turning around and and this is his new purpose. Um, is to actually be a good guy, and he now has a chance to do something different. And then it's like, no, he's sent back. Um, and, and then he, and then at that point, he's so depressed. It's, that's when the black mamba comes out. The black. He's, he's like, all right, <laughs> I am going to be the villain. Rah! You know, which we've all felt like after a breakup. <laughs> should, everyone should have their own black mamba outfit. <laughs> it's how we cope. Exactly. <laughs> like oh oh he he's dressed up as a villain I, I guess things didn't go well with him and his girlfriend 
I just imagine the shot of high school because that's where, you know, the most like, like, you know, kids break up all the time in high school and it's so dramatic. And, you know, the first time you have that massive breakup. Uh, And so you just imagine like, oh, look, there goes Charlie and his black mamba. I guess he and Susan not going to be together anymore. All right. He's been listening to he's been listening to Mad World from the Donnie Darko soundtrack on loop for for three weeks. Oh, I love (laughs) that's a great song. Well, I I used to listen to the Tears for Fears version at BYU because uh, when we take our six hour figure drawing class in the mornings, um, he would put on the best of Tears for Fears, so I would um, I would get really well versed. But yeah, that one's the the Johnny Darko version is a a a, a classic. Yeah, I just imagine now every time you hear Tears for Fears, you start seeing naked people. <laughs> Well, no. at BYU, we, they weren't yeah. allowed at, at Brigham Young. They weren't allowed to be naked, so it was more like in what? bikinis. Really? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Church school. Oh, can't, can't be too naked. But yeah. But so we talked about the Black Mamba. What would a superhero, super villain, be without a a minion? Uh, <laughs> to, oh my gosh! To help out? And I really think that, like. I feel like Minion, voiced by the amazing David Cross, he like took the oh. concept of a Minion and made it cool before Despicable Me came out. Yeah. Or Despicable Me Actually, came out. Actually, Despicable Me came out first, I think. Oh, it came out first? Yeah. That was, oh, man, that was frustrating. Because we'd been working on the thing for a number of years. Well, that's right. They both came out in 2010. Yeah, and we had Minion, and um, we were all like, you know, we're working away. We did, I don't know how many sequences were already done. A um, bunch of them. We were probably halfway through, maybe three-quarters of the way through the film. And then the the trailer for um, Despicable Me came out, and it was like, oh, crap, and Minions. Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> but then we were like, oh, well, what are we going to do? Like, you, you know, there's nothing you could do about it. Um, but, yeah, the Minion, actually, what was really fun, so I don't know if you guys know the history of Megamind in general, is that it actually started with, um, so the, the director of the film that you guys have seen, that everyone's seen, is uh, Tom McGrath, who's one of the directors of the Megamind series, uh, was the director or is the director of Boss Baby. Um, yeah. he's, he used to, um, he worked on Ren and Stimpy. Like he's been in the industry for a long time. It's <laughs> freaking hilarious. Um, really passionate, amazingly creative director, great artist, uh, just like awesome, just f- fantastic guy. Um, he wasn't the original director on the film. So originally it was uh, these two guys, Kyle and Cam, who had done a short film. I think, um, what's it called? First Flight or something like that at DreamWorks. And um, they had gotten this property and were working on doing Megamind. But it wasn't called Megamind at the time. I think it was called Ubermind. Um, And uh, they were the directors first. And they worked on it for about nine months or so, trying to get it together um, and get it working. And then uh, we switched directors to Gary Trousdale, who was one of the directors on Beauty and the Beast. um, And directed a couple of the shorts at DreamWorks. and just a super, super nice guy. Like, amazing. He's been at Disney and at DreamWorks forever. Um, in fact, if you watch any of the like um, documentaries about early Disney days, uh, well, not super early because he's not one of the nine old men, but you know, if you watch like the Floyd Norman documentary or um, anything about uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, I don't know if you guys yeah, have seen that. Saw that. Uh, he's in those. Like, um, so he's he's been at Disney for a long time, been at DreamWorks for a long time. Super nice guy. Um, he did the Penguin's Christmas Caper at DreamWorks, uh, a bunch of the Shrek <laughs> things. He's he's just awesome. He's a really great guy. So he came in for about nine months and was uh, working on the film. Um, 
and it just it just wasn't clicking. I think for the studio, there was the direction just wasn't quite there. They weren't hitting the, the comedy, um, and so then that's when Tom came in and uh, and took it, and then you know pushed it towards where it ended up with being this like total rock star Black Mamba. It was spikes and and stuff like that, and you know getting Will in there and, and just really pushed the comedy of it. Um, I forgot exactly what we were <laughs> where I was going with Minion. that story. Minion, yes, right. Okay, so as part of that, Minion went through a whole bunch of different variations. Like he was a guy, he was he was this dude who had a home life originally, um, and uh, you know just came in because he he needed some work. Uh, there was a I think a part where he was like really really into being a villain. Um, and then we, at one point, we were like, okay, we, you know, having a um, human as this character isn't really working. We need to come up with something different. So we had a sketch session where um, a bunch of us just got together and started drawing different options for what a minion could be. And, uh, you know, there was like, he was a raccoon. He was a dude, like he was a robot. <laughs> he was like just a bunch of things. And I think one of the story artists, I can't remember exactly who it was, um, drew a, uh, a giant monkey with um i think it was rob Koo, who was one of the story artists for um meg all right he might have been head of story for for the madagascar series um he just drew this giant robot monkey with like a fish for a head and everyone was like <laughs> well that's kind of funny and so then we just sort of iterated on that and then that ended up becoming minion was you know the fish in the bowl with with the robot um so it becomes and- like a like a shredder type what's the brain off of oh krang krang yes <laughs> Yeah. That's so what he, it just reminded me of. Yeah, he was. Um, he was just a. He was a really fun character. So Ronnie Namani, who's uh, he was kind of a relatively new animator at DreamWorks. Sometime he'd done a couple of films. He's now um, one of the supervising animators on Boss Baby and was kind of in charge of uh, that character. Um, super super nice guy. Really amazingly talented. He he kind of headed up the animation on uh, Minion, and um, just really found this great appealing wide open again you know big eyes wide open eyes really just a joyful character who loves helping megamind be a, a good villain he's kind of like his cue i guess to uh if if megamind was james bond you know coming up with all the cool weapons and stuff like that like he's just he's a really good assistant <laughs> well yeah what i love about him is that he um oh excuse me i'm gonna sneeze <laughs> I was, at, I was at PAX South yesterday, and San Antonio is full of cedar, and it's also a very filthy city, so I'm still re- <laughs> still recovering from that. No offense. Remember the Alamo. <laughs> but um, but his, his suit reminds me of um, – there was a sci-fi movie where it, it was this crappy B-movie sci-fi movie where it was just – it was an alien, but the alien was just a guy in a gorilla suit with, like, a metal helmet and two TV antennas poking out of it. That's what this guy reminds wow. me of. I love Minion because he's in this very, very intimidating, imposing giant robot gorilla suit. But he's also like a very, a very tender, very like um, not as flamboyant as Megamind, but he's just got a very eccentric mannerism to him. Like he puts on an apron when he like cooks things or he like, you know, he does like he's got a sensitive side. And I really like that because he's just a very um considerate and thoughtful assistant like he could be a great secretary or assistant for anyone yeah, um, yeah. and he's just very happy to be doing his job for megamind and he's like extremely helpful he thinks of everything beforehand Absolutely. you know he he under he understands and appreciates megamind's sense of style his like rock star status <laughs> as well yeah because presentation is key so yeah 
presentation yeah, no. is key when you're a supervillain like Megamind. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, Ma- Minion is, um, I think it, that's part of what actually sends Megamind into his deep depression is, you know, here he is thinking that everything's going to go great with Roxanne. And when that doesn't work, he goes home for his only sense of solace, right? Which is his companion and Minion, he and Minion had a falling out earlier. So there's not even that. And that's when he's like, you know, bring out the black mama because his, his one thing that, you know, his person that he considers home and who's always been there for him is no longer there. Um, and that's just like without minion, he's nothing, you know? Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's a good character. I got to, um, thank David Cross at the uh, premiere for it, which was kind of funny because he was like, I ran up to him and I'm like, you're David Cross. And he's like, yeah. (laughs) Hi, I'm Jason. It was head of animation on the film. Your voice is great. We loved animating to you. And he's like, "Oh, oh, okay, thanks." Like, <laughs> oh. like, you know, like, when you're yeah, when you're a celebrity like that, you never know. Yeah, we have a tendency to sort of freak out the actors when we meet them. Like on Peabody and Sherman, um, uh, Charles Ma- uh, Max Charles was the uh, the voice of Sherman, and yeah. um, he had such a specific. I think I said this in the in the last interview, which no one has ever heard. Um, <laughs> only the select few have yeah exactly but he had, he had such a specific way of speaking because he's you know he's a little kid and he's got these giant teeth and the way he would move his mouth around his teeth was really inspiring for the animators and so when i met max i went up to him and i was like oh my god you were so great we stared at your face a lot not creepy not creepy at all that like a 38 year old dude saying i stare at your face <laughs> that's pretty good yeah so i feel bad every time i i meet the actors and i accidentally get into geek mode your left eye is slightly twitchier than your right eye have you noticed that (laughs) we have (laughs) it's two frames off you're like oh okay (laughs) two frames off that's awesome Well, that brings up um, something I've always wondered about. So um, this one has, um, I don't know, I guess you could call it a star-studded cast, although I hate to use the term. Um, <laughs> some people are critical of yeah. films that have a lot of Hollywood talent, and then I'm like, look at Prince of Egypt. Yeah. And yeah, um, and this one is one of them that I, that I absolutely love. And a lot of people are like, Brad Pitt for Metro Man, he doesn't, he doesn't do anything in the movie. And I'm like, that's the point. Like, he's supposed yeah. to be awkward and and um, and kind of like at the end of the movie when he turns into a music man, um, <laughs> the audience is like, he's totally, lame. <laughs> he's, like, he's totally lame towards the end of the film. And I think that Brad Pitt like actually kind of works out. So and then, of course, <laughs> Tina Fey as Roxanne like totally works. But like you mentioned how you you were inspired by the performance of will ferrell like as he was recording his lines like how much does the how much does the voice actor or the actor portraying the character influence the style of the animation and vice versa like do you try to keep it totally independent or do you leave it open for inspiration um it depends on the character most of the time the reason the actors are hired uh is because they're really good actors and they can do a great voice they can do you know they they have a great inflection to their voice and great tone. Um, and they also bring really good, interesting ideas and they get into the character and then you can glean a lot from that. So definitely with Will Ferrell, like we got a lot from watching him. Um, David Cross, uh, it was his voice, not really his physical performance that we got a lot from, you know, for, for Peabody and Sherman, Max was huge, um, getting him. Uh, and then actually, um, 
uh, for uh, Agamemnon. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> you know, the, that act, like his, that's right. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm blanking on his name right now, which is awful. So, um, uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick, Patrick Warburton. Warburton. Yeah, Patrick Warburton. He was hey, a huge hey, inspiration for Agamemnon. So there, you know, what we do is, or at least at DreamWorks, what we did, and I believe what they do at most studios is um, we set up cameras to record the actors when they're doing the voice recording so we can see what their facial expressions are and watch how they're moving around the scene. Um, and then we look at that and try and decide if there is anything in there that helps us give an inkling as to how the character might perform whether it's how they hold their face in order to get their voice to make those sounds or, um, you know, for Will Ferrell, it's like what he's doing with his face to open it up and make it bright. Um, we've had other characters where it's, they're just physically moving around all the, all the time. And you're like, okay, well that physicality is really key. Um, and so we try and glean as much as we can, but then a lot of it comes down as well to early acting tests and animation tests and trying to think about how do you approach the character uh, for How to Train Your Dragon, which I didn't get to work on, but is one of my favorite DreamWorks movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, both one and two are both phenomenal films. Mm-hmm. The uh, the director and head of animation, so Dean Dubois and um, and Simon Otto, had brought in like the improv actors, and uh, and what they wanted to do was try and understand the physicality of the different characters and how um, how they would interact with each other, you know, for the kids. And so, what was really cool is they would have Simon um, basically read attributes of the the kids, and then the improv actors you would they were filming this they would watch them try and like assume the physicality of what that character would look like you know and so they're talking about um, rough nut and tough nut and throwing different attributes in there like you know uh, into eighties rock uh, totally in love but uncomfortable, you know, a bit of a slacker, da, da, da. and you would just watch them physically turn into these characters, and then they would just perform a scene. And so that was hugely inspiring for the animators, and they, would, they took a lot from that. So mm-hmm. even though it wasn't the voices of the characters, um, but it was actors sort of going through the motions and, and coming up with ideas. So some of it comes from the actors, some is from video reference from the animators, some is, you know, trying to just get it from YouTube clips, if you can, of, like, stuff that's similar. Uh, we try and you know, get inspiration from everywhere that we possibly can. Yeah, that whole concept of inspiration is such a in-depth thing. Obviously, you have to get reference, but like any extra thing that you can do to, to like really get an acting performance. It's like what um, yeah. Glenn King's motto is that like as an animator, I'm an actor with a pencil or in, in this case, now we're, we're actors with, with mice and keyboards and <laughs> we still have actors with pencils. And so you really have to understand and appreciate good acting to really... Um, really sell a performance and animation and yeah and getting that inspiration and reference is a big deal oh absolutely the fun thing though is i think where people who haven't done it before don't really get is that there's the inspiration that you get and then there's like you're looking at it and, and trying to find moments that are exciting but then it's sort of how you stitch those things together and then how you clarify them and caricature it um that makes the performance stand out and then how do you push it towards either realism or towards cartooniness that like can add or decrease the drama or, or comedy of, of a moment. Um, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's, it's as funny as like just shoving something like an action, shoving a beat, you know, four frames later to give just, you know, a, a sixth of a second more time for the comedy to land is like, yeah. what's, so there was a shot, uh, in Megamind where, um, an animator, uh, uh, Jacob Gardner was working on the shot where 
uh, when they're in Metro Man's lair or in his in his hideout, you know, and, and Megamind comes over and he's wearing the cape. And Roxanne's like, come look at this. He's like, what, what? And then falls over and then gets up. And it's like right before they notice the ice cubes. Jacob was working on the shot and he was asking me to uh, give the last notes on, you know, this this one shot. And there was something about it that just cracked me up every single time I watched it. And so, you know, he's reviewing the shot with me and I'm laughing and I'm like, oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's final. And he's like, wait, but you're always laughing at the same part. What is it? And I was like, well, it's just funny. And he's like, no, no, no. I want to know exactly what it is that's making this really, really funny. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then we got in and analyzed it. And it was something about just he had shoved some beat like just a few frames later. And there was something about just that little tiny bit of timing that just tickled me so much. It was just it just felt perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we're looking at reference and we're looking at things like that, it's it's not just copying. It's definitely like taking and absorbing and shifting and getting down to that sub, you know, second amount of, of control that we have in animation that just makes it really shine and makes it special. That's what I love about it. <laughs> uh-huh. Do you know what else you have to be able to appreciate in this movie? Classic rock, ACDC, Guns <laughs> N' Roses. That's all Tom. That's so true. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's completely Tom. It's so funny. He's he's got it's funny. Like he'll he'll say something and you'll be like, I don't know, I don't know if that's a good idea. And then you see it and you're like, ah, oh, crap. Yep, that's a great idea. <laughs> you're right. Well, it's Back it's it's amazing yeah. when you can wield popular culture and rock culture that everybody knows and make it of and make it super entertaining and like twist it to be really yeah. entertaining. The part where find real shows that. That, like has a showdown against Titan, and you start hearing "Welcome to the Jungle," and a giant, giant cloud mega mind starts monologuing, and then a giant mega mind head comes out, and on his tongue is mar- he sticks out his tongue, and on his tongue is marching yep. the real mega mind. Like when I was watching that, I was like, "This is an amazing movie!" Like I really love this. Right <laughs> that was that we tried so many different things to get that moment to sell. Um, it's just there was, so outrageous. Yeah, it was completely like we knew that there had to be something big there, but we couldn't figure out what it was. And I can't remember. It might have been the previous group. Um, this was the first film uh, where we had this group doing pre-visualization on the film at DreamWorks. Um, it was headed by Kent Secchi, who's the director of Previs, and he had done Previs work on uh, Iron Man and come from the live action visual effects side of things. Um, yeah, and he put together this group that was just so awesome on this film because they. They would look at the boards and they'd kind of get the brief from Tom about what he what they wanted, and then they would go off and just come up with tons of different ideas on what to do. And they would explore like I don't know, ten, fifteen, twenty ideas all you know all through CG, like as quick as possible to to brainstorm things. Um, and it was it was amazing to watch because his team just was like rocking. And I think they're the ones who came up with this idea of this massive brainbot head. And everyone's like, I don't know, is that going to work? And then, yeah, it totally works and was like just a huge moment for people. I think it was, it was my, fav- my wife's favorite moment in the film. And I was like, when I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, and then, you know, and it's like, well, how the hell are we going to do all those brain bots? And, you know, just technically, <laughs> like, what are we, how are we going to make this work? And it was such a huge payoff. It was really cool. It was, I, I was, I'm like, you know, I bow down to those guys for figuring figuring that moment out because it totally sells Megamind. Like it, it, you know, exemplifies his character. Yeah. If you weren't rooting for him at this point, you were rooting for him now. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
my <laughs> at the very end when he is when he's in his giant suit like the robot suit mm-hmm. yeah. um and he's like stomping through the city my favorite <laughs> is the fact that you guys gave him spurs <laughs> like yeah. you gave him spurs <laughs> totally that that's yeah it's totally like i think uh david james is the production designer for it i think once tom was like yeah he's the kind of guy with like spikes and leather and david and his team were like okay we're gonna go nuts <laughs> first he's got those like giant uh wheel blades that come out of his shoulders so he's like rawr, rawr. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> my favorite my favorite moment in that scene i've got two is one is um after Titan doesn't show up and he's just sort of like dipping the spurs in the water as he's like, Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, you see him sitting there as the crowd's leaving and he's just like, look, water's running off of this spur and running off of this spur. <laughs> and then he's like, he's driving the car and he's like, Oh no, I'm going to crash. Ah! <laughs> like it's just, it's fun when you see the childish, the childish nature in him, you know, even he's with like all super, the yeah, super bored. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it. So what are some oh, of man. the funnest moments or what were some of the funnest parts of production for you to do? Probably not the capes. Like I read somewhere that y'all had like a whole team of animators on the capes. We did. We have uh, so at DreamWorks, they have a group called Character Effects. And what their job is, is they go from when animation is done, then things get sent to character effects before it goes into lighting and effects. And they do all of the clothing. They would do the hair. Um, they would do any sort of interaction between the characters and their environments. Um, because the software that we had wasn't really capable of doing like deformation. So if you, I mean, you could deform stuff, but like, um, if you had a character grab onto another character, you couldn't really deform the surface to make it look like it was, you know, the fingers were really pressing into the other character. So the character effects group would go ahead and animate those depressions. Um, and so they, they were doing all of the capes and clothing in the film. Um, but the capes were really, really specific like the type of things we wanted the capes to do were very specific for the heroic actions of metro man and titan uh and then also for the comedy of what we could do with megamind so what we did was we had a simplified cape control in the animation tool that we could use um, and then we could also do drawovers on top of the animation and then it yeah. would get sent over to this team which was headed up by damon reesberg and uh, he and I actually went to school together at UC Santa Barbara and were roommates for a while. So it's kind of fun that um, now we're working on, you know, we were working on films together after that, which is kind of neat. Nice. Um, and then so what he and I would do is we every week we would look at all the shots that were finished in animation and especially the ones that had capes. And we would talk about the intent of what we wanted the cape to be able to do. And then his team would simulate the cape, animate on top of it. Um, he, they would like you know, paint deformations and then try and blend in and out of things to get the comedy and, and the specific shapes that we wanted in them. There was a lot of work for those guys, but it was definitely, you know, for him having, <laughs> having seen, uh, Incredibles and knowing that they said no capes, he was like, all right, we're going to make these capes. Awesome. <laughs> part of the film. The and, best uh, part of the film. They, that should be a, a feature you put on Nimble Collective is auto cape. Auto cape. Just- <laughs> if only it was that simple yeah, oh, wouldn't that be great you just hit a button and it's caped yeah. <laughs> but uh, they worked really hard to try and get those to work and you know we had characters moving at ridiculous speeds and the capes had to do the right thing you know they couldn't just explode which is for people who haven't done um, physical simulation in 3D animation um, it's surprisingly difficult because in the real world if somebody moves and they're wearing a cape 
the game has all of its properties, and it doesn't tend to get tangled up and explode on itself. <laughs> like, that just doesn't happen in the real world. <laughs> um, and in the computer, like you have moments where uh, the math will calculate what it's supposed to do. And so if you have a character that's moving at supersonic speeds in between frames where it's going to try and figure out, like, you know, frame one, the character is here, and frame two, the character is a mile <laughs> away from where it was, it physically has to figure out what the cape would do to try and stay attached to the character within that time. And that's just a ridiculous thing to try and figure out. So they had to come up with techniques for making sure the capes felt believable when the characters were moving at unrealistic speeds, and then also make it feel believable when the characters were moving at realistic speeds. And they spent a lot of time trying to come up with techniques for that, yeah. which was kind of very cool. Um, I remember when I first got into animation, I started doing dynamic simulation stuff. I was trying to do like rocks. Um, and one day I was walking down the street and I was walking down a gravel path. And, you know, like when you're focused and obsessed on something, your your brain just gets stuck in there. Like I, I find as an artist, like I'll just get, I just sit there and loop, you know, in my brain about how to solve a problem. And so I'm walking on this gravel path and I look down at my feet and they're standing on rocks, which are, you know, on the ground. And I'm thinking, First, I'm thinking, wow, how would I do that in the computer? Because that would be really hard to simulate. And then I start going, how does the world never explode with all of these physical simulations that it's trying to run all the time? And my brain started <laughs> going, and I was like, oh, wait, no, sorry. That's the real world. That's not. <laughs> brain out of computer land. Must <laughs> Hello, reality. <laughs> nice to meet you again. <laughs> I love you, random citizen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Cool. So, and. So Damon uh, and his team did a phenomenal job with that. And then they, they are the ones who just, um, I don't know if you guys saw Trolls. Uh, I'm sure you did. Yes. Um, so they did all the hair and stuff in Trolls. And, and it was nice. a similar sort of thing where they took the idea of trying to make sure that they're hitting the intent of what animation wants, but get the simulation to do the right thing. And I think they, they really pushed themselves to get that to work and did a good job. Yeah. Yeah, I the hair was phenomenal. Yeah. It was a key part of that film, so it's you know a big part of the story. Yeah, they really expanded the character of the troll here. <laughs> <laughs> the, I like how it's the character. <laughs> well, you really, know. Yeah, the toy was was good character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I um, I just had a lot of fun um, watching the film, and I don't know as I've as I've gotten into animation and rigging and stuff, it's. It's interesting to like talk with someone who has the same experience about like the technical things and what y'all yeah. are trying to achieve and stuff. It open it opens my mind to be like, wow, there's just so much that I do not understand. <laughs> I generally know a lot about like the story side, but like there's so much in the technical side that's like <laughs> there's so much to remember. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, that's that's the that's true about pretty much any any craft is like it is. When you first get started, you're like, oh, it's easy. I do this thing. And then the more you learn, the more you're like, oh, this is really hard. And then it gets impossible because there's so much <laughs> to think about. And then it starts to get better as you as you gain experience. You know, it's like if you're learning to paint, so you're like, I throw paint on canvas and I make art. And then you're like, oh, now I'm going to learn about every different type of brush. And now I'm going to learn how to make a brush. But now it's like when you presented with the option of like which brush you're going to use, you have to run through, you know, mentally like, well, the fan brush is 32 percent, blah, 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 blah. You know, you get way caught up in the details. And it's like, no, just freaking put paint on the canvas. <laughs> um, but what actually – so, Mason, earlier you would asked like what are, what are some of the things I appreciated or one of, one of the stories about it. Um, 
one of the things I really loved, which was this moment that I didn't think I was going to love in the film uh, during the production, was the dance scene at the end. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the obligatory animated dance scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, while we were working on it, I was like, well, the good thing about this film is there's no way there's going to be a dance scene at the end. Because <laughs> and I remember, like, I was so set on that. I was just like, thank God, we're not going to do a dance scene. Like, this is beautiful. I'm so happy. Um, and then uh, <laughs> the producer called me in uh, to a meeting, and she's like, so I have some news for you. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, we're going to do a dance scene. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. that's funny. She's like, no, seriously. I'm like, wait, what? Oh. What? With like a billion people crowd, yeah. like doing this dance scene. That was exactly. one thing that I, I, at the very end, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. Of, that's a big crowd scene. It was a huge, yeah, the crowds were huge in this film. That was amazing. Um, but uh, so I went to talk to the director and he's like, yeah, it totally fits with, you know, Megamind's uh, personality, which had evolved over the course of the production to, it did make sense for his personality because he is a bit of a showman. Um, and I was like, okay, we're going to do a dance at the end of production. Uh how are we going to do it? Because dancing is really hard. Like it's a, it's a, it's hard to do in person. <laughs> it's really <laughs> hard to do in animation. Um, and so what we did was we actually went down to LA and we hired a this woman uh, Fatima Robinson, I believe her name is, and um, she is a choreographer and has done stuff for Janet Jackson and uh, nice. Michael Jackson. Like she's amazing. And so she and her dance partner came in, and we met with them on the mocap stage. We didn't do mocap for it, but. It was just a big stage down in L.A. that we could use in, in DreamWorks. And um, we talked about what it was that we wanted Megamind to do in terms of, you know, what had just happened in the film and, and how happy he was and, and that kind of stuff. And then getting to watch her and her partner figure out and choreograph the dance was so cool to see somebody like just the way they would talk to each other where – They'd sort of like go off and they'd be like, okay, so we're going to do a this and one of these. And then I was thinking like maybe – and they sort of like a little bit of movement with their hands, just kind of talking through things. And then the partner would like start to do a little bit of a move and she'd go, no, no, I think if we just da 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 And they'd talk in hushed tones and then they go, okay, you ready? All right, so three, two, one. And then they'd start dancing and they'd be like completely in unison, like doing all <laughs> these moves. And I was just like – how did they, did they just figure that out? Like what? And then they would stop and she'd go, no, I think da, 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 da. And she'd start saying a few things and he'd kind of do little moves and then they'd be like, okay, and go. And they'd start doing it again. And it was just like, holy crap. Like that's so amazing <laughs> watching somebody yeah. watching at that level do their craft that you have no idea how they were doing it. And it's, it's, um, <laughs> it was just awesome. It was so inspiring. So we filmed that whole thing and then brought it back up to – brought the video reference back up to uh, Northern California and had – I think it was four or five animators. Maybe maybe it was four animators do that, that sequence. Um, but just like super inspiring to watch these guys do their work and then be able to come back and try and recreate it. You know, it was, it was amazing. That was, that was probably, you know, strangely enough, one of the highlights in, just in terms of production because it was so far outside the norm of what we were doing in animation. It was really cool. <laughs> nice. I, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. The, other th the other stuff that was really cool for me is this was the first time I was uh, in charge of a film. So I just, in terms of learning how to manage artists and work with, um, work with other leads from other departments and do it in a way that was like super collaborative and really get that process down, that was just creatively like really personally satisfying, I guess, um, because it's not easy from somebody who is an artist to transition into a management role where you're used right. to 
as an artist, you're used to your success and your your ability to um, just to be successful. You're used to that being based off of your creative talent. And so it's like, as an animator, the better shots I did, the more people would say, hey, you're doing a great job. And that was where I would get my feeling of satisfaction from. And then when you're a manager, you have to not be focused on your own animation as being the thing that you gather your your feeling of success from. You have to look at it as like, how do I make my entire team get better? And how do mm -hmm. I look at that in the long term of like, okay, so right now, these artists are here. And by you know two years from now, I want them to be here. So how do I help them grow over that period of time? And how do I not try and take shots myself, but really help these people grow and become better artists and get all of my sense of self-worth and satisfaction from that success so that I want them to feel successful. And then when that happens, that's when I feel like, okay, cool, I'm doing a good job. And that's a, it's a hard transition. It doesn't seem like it would be, but it, it really is a whole mental shift. And I think that that, that learning uh, over the course of the film for me was just, it was really, really satisfying. And it was really rewarding to be able to realize at the end of it that I had been able to help people get better and, um, help relationships get better between different departments and stuff like that. Like, so that was, that was awesome. Like that, I feel really proud about that. Yeah, it's interesting. Cause you look at some of these different, a lot of people would be tempted to look at some of these job titles as like, it's the title itself is the, mm -hmm. is, you know, the reward, I guess, but it's such a different way of, of thinking. It's such a different way of acting. And as you're saying, getting your, it's a total mental shift yeah. um, from one side of the, the mouse to the other, I guess. <laughs> Wrong studio, <laughs> not the mouse. <laughs> Run one side of the Shrek to the other. No, no. <laughs> no like your, your actual yeah, computer yeah. mouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it is, it is. And I mean, I learned so much during that. Like I remember um, there was one time where uh, somebody, I forget what department it was, but someone had done something that meant a lot of extra work for me um, and for my department. And I sent off this like, just raging email. <laughs> it was like, which we've all done in the past. Somebody does something. <laughs> like, what? And so I just sent out this email, like CC'd all. And it was like, blah, 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 blah. And then the phone rang and I'm like, Oh, phone ring, pick it up. Hello. And it was, um, Denise Casino, who's the producer. And she's like, Hey Jason. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? And she goes, how could you have done that differently? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, read your email. And so I read it and I'm like, Oh, I was being kind of a dick, huh? And she's like, yeah, how could you have done that differently? <laughs> like, uh, I could have probably said this and this. She's like, mm hmm. So then I, you know, took a step back and wrote an apology email. And like, I learned like how throughout the course of that production and through her help and, and really thinking about like what's our goal. Like, I really learned how to work with a lot of different people and understand like how to take that step back and look for the greater good and try and really, you know, how, what's the best way to work with a team of creative, passionate people? And get what everybody wants and makes every make everything better. And it was it was just such a great it was an awesome experience for that. Like I really I I you know, it's hard to to look at those moments where you're like, I am a jerk. Yay. Oh <laughs> <laughs> people it's skills. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh yeah, so I that part of it, like it's such a long process to make a movie and to see the progression of the artists and then look at your own personal progression and what you've been doing. Like that's so rewarding. It's great to be able to look back on it and, and remember that, you know? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I can definitely see how it's not just like the, cause an, as an animator, you're kind of in yourself. I mean, you're, you just, you're, 
happy with what you do and how you get done. But then working over into some of those managerial, it's very much um, your personal development. It definitely (laughs) takes a shift. But it it reminds you of like, in order to do anything well, um, either creatively or working with a team, like when you can work with a team in a positive way and keep everyone focused on a good outcome, everything gets better and everything gets easier. And the the Mm -hmm. outcome is just tremendously better, like in the, in the long run. So I learned a lot about how to be a better manager, but I also learned a lot about how to be a better team artist. And so after doing that and then going and working on films as an animator again, or working with teams to help teams work together, being able to take those skills and understand how to, um, kind of like use uh, improv techniques where you say yes and instead of no but <laughs> right <laughs> you know, like like it's amazing like even if somebody comes up with an idea that's just ridiculous like totally silly um you could say yeah that's a great idea and how do you think we might get that done and then they go oh that's really impossible you go okay well how can we get that same idea across and it just brings people together and makes the makes creative juices flow as opposed to stopping them um, and so that, like that, that's such a, such a key thing. And I'm so grateful that I got a chance to learn that on that film and then be able to use that without, you know, for, throughout the rest of my career with whatever it is that I'm doing. It's, yeah, uh, it's cool. Lesson passed on. Use yes. And words never use, but words. <laughs> <laughs> no more, but words. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, this has been great hearing about your experience with Megamind. And um, I can tell that you had a lot of fun with it. I think that's like a big part of my takeaway, like as an as an animator where I work. And and every time I've spoken to someone involved in the animation industry is like, sure, there are challenges and sure, there are parts where you like want to pull your your hair out and just hide under your desk and hope no one sees you or talks to you. But (laughs) in the end, like the the payoff is like seeing (laughs) is like seeing the the creation of it. And um, that makes uh, Go for it. No, I was going to say, it's funny because I remember there were a lot of really challenging moments in the film, like in the creation of it, things where you're just like, oh, why do we have to do that? Bah. But the moments that I remember the most are the ones that really pushed us creatively and the ones that were just like silly, ridiculous things. Like those are the stories that you end up remembering 10 years later. Like I remember <laughs> we were having a meeting, like one of the big challenges with uh, Metro Man was the fact that he's wearing tights. And uh, the first few times we were looking at him, he was, it was a bit revealing. And so we had a crotch reduction meeting like on the, on the calendar. And we're all sitting there like trying to paint down his crotch. And it's, like, it's just such a ridiculous thing that was actually, you know, we had to do was have this meeting where we're sitting there with a paint tool, like, like a sculpting tool, just trying to get the perfect amount of smoothness over his crotch that would not be disturbing but also wouldn't make him look you know horrific like there's, there's the moments like that that you that are just such a joy but then the ones that artistically like really push you like i remember there were a number of times like i was saying with with tom where we would be trying to do something and he would be like no it needs to be like this and you would just say ah but why and then you would do it and you go like god you're totally right and it just would teach you to have that that extra eye for that one last, like, what's the one more thing that we could do to make this that much better? Like, there's got to be one more thing. Like, you know, you just always look for that. When I was on Lord of the Rings, we were at the very, very end of one of the films. And I was just like ready for a shot to be done. I I was like, I've been working on it for weeks and I was just done. And, you know, I had a few things to fix, but I just wanted to be done with it. 
And um, one of the animators said, you know, this is going to be on DVD and your children's children are going to watch it. And I thought, we're going to have DVDs? Cool. Uh, no, I was like, <laughs> so what you're saying is I should spend the extra hour to just do this thing? And he's like, you know, it's, it's going to be something that will be out there forever. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Let me just <laughs> – you're right. Okay, I'll just do that one more little fix because I know if I don't, it's going to bug me forever. And you like you learn that those little – like sometimes just pushing yourself that little extra bit to do the one thing that's going to make that thing stand out and be better is just going to be that's, – that's, you know, it's the right thing to do no matter how frustrating it is at the time. And um, you, you end up really learning how to look for those one little – those little tiny things that just give it an extra spark. And I learned a lot of that on the film. And that was, I, I look back on it and those moments and I feel really proud about them. So it's good. There was a lot of great stuff that happened in it. Yeah. Well, um, I was like at your IMDb and mm-hmm. um, you weren't totally done with Megamind. There was um, there was some other stuff after that. And then you worked on Boss Baby. And we yeah. talked about how production cycles can run like – several years so uh do you have a little a little preview of what we can expect from boss baby having worked on it yeah so boss baby um was this film that tom mcgrath the director has been you know writing for a long time and uh it's actually the story as as sort of i guess the genesis is from a a book that you can get called boss baby i don't know what i can say (laughs) publicly about it uh in terms of like the story because i haven't caught up i haven't kept up on what they're saying and i don't want to throw off the, the marketing and stuff like that yeah, um, no spoilers just from an animator standpoint yeah, or head, yeah, of yeah. Anim- head of animation so, so the fun thing about that it, about the film was um trying to figure out how to animate a baby and make it uh you know alec baldwin is <laughs> pretty <awesome. laughs> he's just all right we've got a baby <laughs> and he's alec baldwin, he's alec baldwin. Yeah. go that was like right from the beginning it's like it's alec baldwin and he's gonna walk like an old man but he's gonna have little you know, little baby mannerisms and how do you, how do you caricature a baby in that way? So I got on the film, um, pretty early on. It was a very small team of us, uh, early, early going on. And so I'd been on it for about a year and a half, I guess. Um, and what we focused a lot on early was just how do you get like things that look like a baby, like the baby fat, um, you know, cause babies have like all these crazy folds and jiggles and things like that. Like, but you want it to, so you want it to look like a baby, but look appealing and not disgusting. Because sometimes babies can look pretty nasty, oh, sure. <laughs> kind of like like really ugly old men. Um, and so we were looking for ways to caricature the lines and the wrinkles and folds in a way that was like super super appealing. Uh, and then how do you you know how do you take those the baby mannerisms and make them work for a business guy? And so it was just, it was really fun. We had a small team. Uh, Tom was really looking forward to trying to make it feel like a old Warner Brothers style in terms of the animation. So we were spending a lot of time really trying to get flexibility in the face and get really great appeal and nice shapes. Um, and we had, just in terms of the, the fun of the pre-production, um, I, so normally when you're a head of animation or a supervisor at the studio, you would be in your office, you know, kind of working away. Um, and so I actually, I pulled out of my office and went and sat on the floor and tried to get all the pre-production team working really closely together so that we could just bounce ideas off of each other. And we had this one animator who wasn't on the show, um, Denis Kushan, but was a phenomenal 2D animator. And so he started teaching some traditional drawing techniques to the 3D animators to help push their artistic craft and push the, the line work. Um, because so much of the film is going to be trying to sculpt things to look like a really good Chuck Jones style thing. Uh, so he was, you know, we were doing like drawing classes every day. Um, and we were just really pushing the look to try and make it feel very cartoony and very kind of classic. Um, but it's just, 
it was a really fun show to get going on. It was fun to analyze babies and think about how they would move. And the great thing about it was that from the very beginning, the story was just awesome. It had a lot of heart has a lot of comedy in it. It's a funny, really, really funny as hell movie. Uh, and I'm, you know, so I was on it for a while. And then when they closed the studio left, didn't really see much of it. And then I was just down at DreamWorks, um, in end of July, early August and got a chance to see a bunch of the work. And it was just so exciting. It was so, it looks so good and it's so funny. Um, it comes out, I think March 17th is when it's out. And I, I'm dying for everyone to see it. I think it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. I really, I really liked the premise of it. And yeah. hearing you say that it was a challenge to animate a baby, which is which is hard in itself. It's hard to draw babies. I can't draw babies. Yeah, it's really and, tough. Uh, and then animating them, getting their mannerisms down, and then also infusing this personality, this like Jack Donaghy personality. Yeah, that Alec Baldwin is famous for. Um, watching the previews, I really like the facial animation, especially how people talk, like their um, their their like visim and and speech and mouth like speech animation. Yep. Is yeah. really looks really in depth and that it went through a lot of development. So I'm yeah, Tom is Tom is really into lip sync. Like he's very very particular about the shapes of the mouths um, and making them really accurate and uh, and interesting to look at. And um, Ronnie and Carla. So Ronnie was the supervising animator on Boss Baby um, for like the character Boss Baby, and Carlos Portolas uh, is the head of animation now on it. And the two of them are phenomenal, phenomenal animators. Um, and so I know they, they've both been working really hard to get that, get the lips to do, you know, just to be creatively beautiful and interesting to watch. And they have such a strong team down there now. It's, it's like, yeah, it's like everything is just going to look awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> I want to see the good. whole thing done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were saying earlier that you, um, how you felt when you worked on it, you're like, this is how it should be. Like you should, you should work on a film right at the beginning. Then you should leave for some, for a couple of years and you should come back and have it almost be done. Yeah. It's a great feeling. Well, it's, it's, it was so cool. It was like, it's like, wow, we worked really hard. And I remember, you know, seeing all the sequences and boards and, um, in previous, previous department had gone, like they were working really, really fast. So they had done a bunch of it and then to leave and come back and see the final lit sequences with everything. It's like, wow, that was easy. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That just worked exactly as it was supposed to. Yay! Yeah, but it was it was really rewarding because a lot of times you work on a film and it goes through so many iterations that when you see the final product, it's not. I mean, ho- hopefully, it's better than what it was early on, um, but it's not always the same. And this one, it was so good early on. The story was so good, and the characters were so good, and everything had so much heart. There's that like slight like fear that you know it would change over the course of time, and then to go back and watch it and be like no, it's the same. There's like little moments that are even better. Like that's so awesome. That's really cool. Like that just, it just makes me so happy. I cannot, I can't like, yeah, like part of, there's a little bit that's sad that I didn't get to work on it and, and do some shots, but then to be able to see where it's at and see some of the choices that they made, which are choices that I don't think I would have made, but I'm so glad that they did. Like, it just feels, it feels great. Like I'm, I'm so like, ah, super jazzed. <laughs> super jazzed. Super jazzed. If they ever make a sequel to Mega Mind, which I think they should, they should call it Mega Mind Two. Super jazzed. <laughs> super jazzed can be like a can yeah. be like a, another villain or another a, or overly ambitious hero. Yeah, there was a time when we did. Um, we were trying to come up with super villains, and so we had names of like all these all these villains. There was like uh, too much. <laughs> God, I can't even remember them now. I think actually in the in the Art of Mega Mind book, there's a bunch of drawings in there, but they had like. Uh, booger man which was just this dude with like tons of boogers um 
<laughs> oh, there were some characters. There was a Hot Flash who we actually designed and, and developed. Um, she was an older uh, supervillain who kept having hot flashes. She was going to <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, she was amazing. She was a great character. There was a whole series of, of them that we came up with. That was fun. I don't think we had Super Jazz. <laughs> so <laughs> we totally should do it. Uh, we should do a Super Jazz. It fits in with the theme. <laughs> that would be great. I actually did a... Uh, a TEDx conference after Megamind came out where I went and presented like how we think about story and how we, how we did that on Megamind. And afterwards there was a number of people who were huge Megamind fans who were really pushing to try and get us to do a sequel. It was really sweet. And then I got sent on to some links where they had done like Megamind poetry and Megamind stories, like fan fiction stuff. Yeah. Fanfic. Yeah. There were some really creepy ones. There were some, <laughs> there were some yeah. great ones. And then there some is. like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> it's, it's funny. If I was to if I was to make a fanfic, I would make a despicable me Megamind crossover. <laughs> I think the two would work out pretty well because they love being the bad guys, but uh Guru's personality is very is more reserved and serious than yeah. Megamind's. I think they'd be they'd be kind of a good uh good kind of um I can see that. Good good bad guy, bad bad guy. Um <laughs> you know, kind of like you know, like you know, because I, I told you I was watching Lethal Weapon earlier, and uh, yeah. I th- I think that uh, the Danny Glover could be um, Gru, and Megamind could be the the off the walls uh, crazy guy. Absolutely. Anyway, that that that, that, that will just, be that will just have to remain in the realm of fan fiction because uh, you're crossing over studios there. But that's okay. I love the idea of uh, Megamind as Mel Gibson. Like <laughs> he could grow the hair. Yeah. That's, actually, that's one of the funny things is um, so he has that little goatee, and in uh, a bunch of the marketing posters, we had to remove the goatee because they were worried that he would look really? cute with it. Yeah, yeah. That's Which, interesting. Yeah, it was strange. Like I, I liked his goatee. I was like, "You're gonna do a good de- goatee on him. That's a good one to do." Yeah, it looked really good. It was it was a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. It's funny. You go back and, and you remember all these moments. You're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I know. I forgot." Yeah. Why they make us remove the goatee? Oh well. all right jason well we just want to thank you again for going on the show it's always a joy to talk to you and jason is actually one of our oldest fans he he believed in us when no one else did Oh, that way, old fan. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm 106 years old, yeah. and I still make my own bread. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was there in the beginning when uh, we were like nobody, and I mean we're still relatively nobody, but we were like we were minuscule. I think it was like episode three or something like that. We get an email from you. Yeah, it's probably yeah something like that. Yeah, somewhere around there. But I, I just I'm so proud of everything you've done. Oh, oh. you've all grown up so well. That's- <laughs> Such good kids. Oh, Jason, you're embarrassing us. <laughs> Go on, man. Pinching our cheeks, giving us giving us candy out of your purse. <laughs> you're yeah. so handsome and beautiful. <laughs> oh, Jason, come on. Embarrassing you give me candy is amazing. <laughs> Just one candy, like, like ten candies all stuck together coming out. Like a, like a crappy peppermint from a Johnny Carino's or something. <laughs> yeah. It's actually stuck in the glass bowl that I just took from home and it's all <laughs> together. <laughs> That's good. Oh, man. Well, 
Well, I'm oh, I'm honored to be uh, to be back five years later. I'm really proud of you guys for what you've been doing. I think it's amazing the like the fact that you've been going for so long and the opportunities that you've all had to be able to be a part of the industry and you know really inspire people and and um, it's been really cool. I'm I'm loving seeing what you're doing. Very, very exciting. Well, we love what we do, and um, if we can be any any positive influence for for lovers of animation, then that's what we strive for. Yeah. Sometimes we get emails. This is really humbling. Sometimes we get emails from people who are like, "Hey, I've been like dealing with depression and and a lot of stuff in my life, and hearing you guys really helps out." And I'm like, "Holy cow!" Oh, that's awesome. I gotta be I gotta be careful of the cynical comments that I make on the podcast, but everybody <laughs> should know by now that I that I I don't know like. 90% of the time, the first thing that comes out of my mouth is BS, and it's meant to make you laugh, and then I'll be serious. <laughs> this and is true. 90% of the time. If, if, I come out, if I come off as completely obnoxious, like Roger Klotz style <laughs> from Doug, then so be it. But um, we just well, want to keep people it must, entertained. And... It must be working for you guys if you've been able to be around for this long. So do not, do not apologize. Accept it as it is. Um, <laughs> we love the connection we get to make with our listeners and stuff. Yeah, it's cool. It's great. It, it's, uh, you know, you've got fans. That's awesome. We do have fans. Someone who actually knew me uh, walked up to me at Universal Studios and was like, are you Mason? And I was like, uh, who's asking? <laughs> I was like, David Cross. But he's like, uh, yes. <laughs> but he turned out to be one of the writers from the site who um, his 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 profile pic is always Scar from The Lion King. So we never I never knew who he actually looked like. And he was like, yeah, I'm I'm Mark from the website. I was like, what? It, looks like but so it was so awkward that we never took a picture or anything. We just kind of <laughs> went our separate ways. And oh, no. You're like, did you do like an awkward hug where it's like you go for the handshake, but then someone's for the hug. So then you switch well, to the I, hug. I did, he switches to the handshake. And then... I did go for the hug, actually. Maybe that's why he left so awkwardly. Maybe. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I figured it's, it's it's always it's always fun to like meet people and and stuff. I mean, we're definitely not internet celebrities, but we we do have we do have followers. I don't call them followers. I call them friends. Oh, right. Come on. Aww. That's so beautiful. Killing me. <laughs> I am. Killing me. I am beautiful. But yeah. Anyway, we had a lot of fun, Jason. Thanks for taking time out of your your weekend to um, to chat with us and reminisce on seven years ago working on Mega Mind and stuff. And thanks for um, thanks for talking about Nimble Collective. And please let us know when that's ready to be unleashed. Absolutely. Well, I will. Uh, I'll let you know. Definitely. I mean, it would be awesome to come back on and talk about some of you know the shows that we've been doing and the artists that we've been helping. Because our whole thing really is we just want to help artists make stuff. We've yeah. got some, some great stories of some of the people we've been helping. I'd love to be able to, to maybe bring some of them on and talk about what their experience has been like with you guys. Like, it would be cool. Yeah. So that'd be fun. Uh, and I, I really appreciate you guys asking me to be back on again. This was, this was fantastic. And I had an awesome time, like I always yeah. do. And I really think the audio, the audio quality is going to be so much better. So it'll be, it'll be actually <laughs> like listenable. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Huzzah. Yay. Huzzah. <laughs> and the crowd. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much, uh, Jason. And thank you for, if you're um, if you're a first-time listener of the podcast, welcome. If you're a multiple-time listener, then welcome back. You can check us out on rotoscopers.com for, short, for show notes and for a uh, bunch of cool like blog posts and editorials and, and news about what's going on in the world of animation. You can check me out on, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I, I'm not really active on any, on any social media anymore. I left Twitter. I barely do anything on Instagram. But if you want to follow me on Instagram, um, it's uh, at MasonSMTX. Uh, Chelsea is at uh, Chelsea Robson. Morgan is at Morgan Straddling. Um, how do we get a hold of you on social media, Jason? 
I think I'm uh, Schleife at, uh, so at Schleife on Twitter. S-H-H-L-I-F-E. That's me. Uh-huh. Um, or you can just, <laughs> just Schleife. Uh, or you go to jasonschleifer.com, but I haven't updated that in a couple of years. But probably just Schleife. You should have um, – there was a, a head of story from Pixar. His name is Matthew, Matthew Lunn, L-U-H-N, and his website has his own theme song. <laughs> fun with Lun. So you should, for your website, you should have this guy has his own theme song. Uh, life we're talking about Emperor's New Year. But you should have a, a song, you know, like I've had the time of my life. I've never felt this way before. You know, just an idea, you know. All right, I could record fired. it for you. That we'll, just, we'll just use this. Just use that little snippet for your website. Yeah, if you just actually on loop. I might turn that into my ringtone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. I see a little mega mind in you there, Jason. Yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think final word on mega mind is I think he he he's one of those characters that embodies what what we would like to be sometimes. Like we we want to be the rock star no yeah. matter what people think of us, you know. Yeah. And Megamind has that kind of free spirit, as it were, even though he's kind of a goofball. Yeah. And he can't pronounce anything. My old shul. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. The heat of revenge. It's called oh, revenge geez. and it's best served cold. Well, it can be reheated <laughs> in the microwave of evil. I love that. The whole back and forth. That was one of the earlier scenes that we did. It's and it was just bear. so funny. <laughs> oh, oh, one thing to leave your audience with. There is a scene, you know, the whole scene where he goes back and he's like thinking through his life and, and having a moment. Um, and the entire world is paused around him. Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. All that takes place. When he uses his super speed. Yeah, super speed. So all that takes place during that scene, that back and forth between him and Megamind early on in the film. And really? There, yeah. There is a shot uh, where you're in the crowd looking up at the two of them on the projected cameras, like the projected you know, screens, basically, at the Metro, Metro Man monument. There's a single frame where we actually flash to the moment where he's going and doing his whole kind of monologue and soliloquy talking about, you know, thinking about his future. So in that scene, in the beginning of the film, there's one frame where Metro Man disappears from the image on the left and appears um, in the walkway in front of his monument. And then it goes back. So it's like that entire sequence of the film takes place in that one frame uh, in the beginning of the film. So if you, Oh, that's you, so cool. It actually happens in real time earlier yeah. in the film. Yeah, yeah. So if you watch it um, and you're looking at that from where uh, or that the film and that scene where where Megamind is uh, on the right hand side of the screens and Metro Man's on the left, frame through that sequence if you can on your DVD player somehow, and you'll see that moment where all of a sudden Metro Man disappears on the left and appears just like as a little guy on the walkway, and that's uh, it's a little it's a little little tip, little fun little thing that we threw Easter egg I guess is what it is. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Like we we put that in, we're like, oh my god, we're so clever. <laughs> it's like, yay, y'all um, are clever. Yeah. So see if you can catch it. Um, I was watching for it last night, and uh, and I I caught it. I was like, oh good, it's still there. Yeah. So I don't know why it didn't that, go anywhere. <laughs> I don't know why that would have disappeared over the years, but uh, yeah, it was like, oh good, that's that's there. So see if you guys can catch that. Yeah, I'll have to go back on that now. Check it out. All right. Well, uh, final housekeeping. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave your five star ratings there. Uh, if you have any other star ratings, then don't bother. I'm just kidding. Uh, we really appreciate your we really appreciate your feedback on iTunes, and um, also big thanks to our um, 
our supporters and you know anybody who's subscribed to the Rotoscopers Patreon and and, and uh, supported us there. We also have a few T-shirts I think left in the store. Do we, Chelsea, or do we finally finally get rid of that T-shirt We've, order? We are in the like double, like very small digits of left. We have like a handful <laughs> left, honestly. Right. You want one, Jason? We can send you one. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. We'll (laughs) trade. I'll send you guys nimble collective t shirts. Please do. Oh please. (laughs) Great. All right. Uh, Well I'll I'll send you my t shirt size then. What size are you (laughs) so we can get you one? Medium. All right. The cheeks make me look like a large, but I'm more of a medium. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I tell myself. (laughs) I actually had somebody meet me in person. They go, Wow, you're a lot skinnier than you look. And I'm like, I Thanks. <laughs> you know, people, people in the animation industry are really fit. Like, uh, I think it's a, I don't know, a lot of people that I've met, like, they all, like, work out, they all eat really healthy, or maybe they just did that to impress me. <laughs> like, I'm going to be Mason. I better start working out six months from now. Well, we did a, um, over the summer, I did a a, um, a thing where these DreamWorks people, you, you might know some of them, uh, David Walverd and... Um, he was head of effects for how to train your dragon and a bunch of other dreamworks artists like every week they came and mentored us while we were making these short films and they were all like they were all like really in shape and (laughs) i was like dang and they all ate really healthy because they would eat out with us in college station and uh, they would get like the healthiest stuff and we'd all be like eating like our our fried chicken tacos (laughs) a flour tortilla (laughs) smothered in queso and we're like well, we want to be like those guys. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. As you get older and your metabolism sort of goes, eh, you, you're like, oh, oh, I know how that is. I got to get healthier. <laughs> I know how that is. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. Plus, you got to keep yourself physically in shape. So it, it affects your mind and it affects the creative mind. Like if, if you're like tired all the time and, and stuff, and you don't feel good about yourself because you're, you're, you're kind of letting your body go to waste and stuff. It, it affects you creatively. All right, I'll go work anyway. out. All right. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So go work out, Jason. Go, run. All right, so uh, thank you so much. And um, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, Jason, try to chime in on this. Uh, we'll say until next time, and then you say, we are the Rotoscopers, and we'll see if we all say it at the same time, okay? Okay. So until next time, everyone, we, we are, are the, the Rotoscopers. Rotoscopers. I think you wanted me to do the uh, intro for this. Yeah, if you could. All right. <coughs> see if I remember how to do that. <laughs> One of the developers that works on my side of the, the office, she when she coughs, it sounds like um, Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob when SpongeBob is like, do you think Mr. Krabs ever does karate? And Mr. Krabs goes. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what her, that's what her cough sounds like. All right, here we go. You call her Mr. Krabs? No, she doesn't like that. <laughs> we swap. We do swap a lot of SpongeBob quotes. How long has this been going on now? Five years. We're coming that's up so- on our five-year anniversary. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Did you ever think it would last this long? Um, you know, it's really funny as you go through and you listen to almost every single episode. We're all like, "Wow, <laughs> can't believe <laughs> this is 139 episodes." This, oh my god, this one. That's so crazy. Yeah, like every time we're like. Wow, did you ever think we'd make it this far? No. <laughs> Even at like 25, 25 episodes? Dang. Yeah, it's like, wow. I did another show that was actually for Frank Sinatra. <laughs> so it was like his tribute, whatever show. Mm-hmm. And you had. That's what Harry. they called it, right? His tribute, whatever. Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Well, it was his 100th birthday. 
Oh, and wow. and so they had this big show to celebrate his hundredth birthday, put on by the Grammys. So they had a whole bunch of people there, like Carrie Underwood, Garth Brooks. You also had Adam Levine, Usher, and Lady Gaga, like the who's Sweet. who of, of of music right now, basically. Yeah, I'm helping one of the other talents. It's like there's this little hallway that everybody kind of stands in while they're right next to the green room, and I start standing there waiting for her to come in or out or whatever. And I and then all of a sudden, like Usher comes over and he stands like right next to me, like within, <laughs> like an inch next to me, and he just is standing there on his phone forever. And then he, you know, up and leaves. And then the guy across who's like, "So you and Usher, huh?" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> You know it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Man, I just watched Lethal Weapon while I was working out last week, and I'm watching <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. So, Oh, I love if, that movie. I really want my hair to be at Kurt Russell level. <laughs> at, at some point. That has been your goal ever since we started the podcast, I remember. <laughs> no, my, wife put a, my wife put a stop to that last <laughs> summer. Well, we all but, are cousins. Because, like, recruitment <laughs> season was starting at, at A&M and stuff, so oh. I had to look you had to look somewhat I, respectable. Yeah. I well, respect hard. Kurt Russell. <laughs> it's hard to pull off the hair unless you do the entire outfit. That's true. I need the eye patch, the tank top. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then just yeah. practice catching things really fast and throwing them back at people. Oh, that's true. That's that's big trouble in Little China, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All in the reflexes. Yeah. We actually <laughs> total sidebar from animation. Uh, fine, my wife it. and I, uh, my wife and I, loved that movie growing up, and um, not that we saw it together, but we both have fond memories. And her nephew was out visiting us. And we were like, he was, I think, thirteen or fourteen. We're like, oh my god, Big Trouble in Little China! You gotta watch it! Ah, we're so excited, totally hyping it up. And then we all watched it with him, and like halfway through, he just turns and looks at us, and he's like, "What?" <laughs> like, it's, no, the, it's it's the nostalgia factor. It yeah. blinds us. Yeah, it blinds I know, us. It totally does. Like I was watching, it, I'm like, but it's so. Isn't it really good? It is really good, right? <laughs> isn't it? Please don't say I'm just yeah. blind. Yeah, I just I just want like a little bit of validation from him. To go, yeah, no, this is totally good. I'm like, okay, good. Nostalgia can be a powerful force, but can also it can also blind us. <laughs> totally. Just quoting Master Yoda there. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs>